Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long-term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar. Uh, I'm rolling solo today. Adam is out, but I am very excited to have a special guest on today's show. By the time you hear this episode, the opening weekend to the college baseball season should have finished. Yesterday was opening day, had some very exciting games, some very interesting performances. So we have Bradley Smart to talk college baseball as the new season kicks off, help us identify the key programs, the players, and even some storylines as we begin our scouting for that 2022 draft class. Uh, Just some information about Bradley. You can find him on his site, birdseyeviewbc.com. He's covering Boston College Baseball and the ACC as a whole. He's also a national contributor for Baseball America. He's written about several different summer collegiate uh, baseball leagues, including the Northwoods League, N-E-C-B-L. Bradley, welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's it's really exciting. Uh, college baseball season kicking off. Yeah, definitely. I'll, and I'll, I'll tell the truth. Uh, this is a blind spot for me. So there's another reason why I wanted to do this episode and have somebody like yourself on to kind of talk me through. Uh, so as I get better in my preparation for Dynasty Baseball, this is obviously a huge area where a lot of talent is going to come from. I need to have my eyes on it be better at it. So I definitely wanted to talk about it while we jump into um, the opening of the season. Uh, what I want to do, Bradley, is I want to take us around the Power Five conferences first. We'll talk about uh, kind of the top two or maybe three teams. We're definitely going to get into the top draft eligible players for each conference so we know those names. And then there's a couple of non-Power Five guys that I want to hit on kind of towards the end as well. All right? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. All right, cool. So let's start with kind of your your home league, kind of what you know, um, maybe the best, which is the ACC. Um, give us a rundown. Like who who are kind of the top two or three teams to watch in this conference? And then we have some names uh, as far as some draft eligible players that we'll talk about as well. Yeah, yeah. So the ACC is just really top to bottom, uh, a really good uh, high quality league. And it, it was pretty chaotic 2021 campaign. Uh, the winner and the, the preseason favorite this year, uh, Notre Dame, they were picked to finish last uh, and they ended up winning the regular season title. Uh, and then you had teams like Duke and Virginia that really came on hot at the end of the year. Duke won the, the conference's uh, tournament. Um, Virginia went all the way to the College World Series. And then, of course, there was North Carolina State who made that inspired run to the College World Series as well. Uh, they beat the top seed Arkansas. Um, and then, of course, there was the, the issues with COVID-19 that ended their season. Um, but, you know, it's a wide open conference. I mean, there's five preseason top 25 teams. And the sort of funny thing about the ACC is those five teams that are in the top 25 might not be the same five teams from the ACC that end up in the top 25 at the end of the year. You know, it, it really it fluctuates. Um, but I think the favorites are Notre Dame. Uh, they bring everyone back. But Nico Cavadas, who 
drafted by the Red Sox. Um, and then Virginia, Florida State, and Georgia Tech should all be in the mix. Um, Virginia was hit pretty hard by the draft, uh, but they've got a lot of talent. And then Florida State's got a great uh, one-two punch on the mound um, to draft guys, Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard. Um, and then Georgia Tech uh, was great offensively last year. They, they usually are. Uh, and the questions there are sort of more around pitching. Yeah, so uh, I know Parker Messick, he he kind of made a big splash yesterday, um, put up a, a really good performance. I saw that on my timeline, um, some gifts about uh, him in a matchup against another player that I'm going to talk about. Uh, we're going to get into later in this episode. So great start um, to the year for, for Messick. Uh, I know you were saying that the ACC was really wide open talking about Notre Dame. I got a chance to watch them versus Manhattan yesterday. Um, and they started to dominate it, it. It took a couple innings, but they started to put their offense together. Um, last time I looked, it was like seven, nothing. I, I didn't get a chance to see the final score. Um, so yeah, so definitely a, a league. If you have access to however you want to do, you know, streaming, I think ACC network or ESPN plus whatever, um, definitely sounds like that's a league that you want to keep your eye on just because of the competitiveness and, and some of the talent rich um, teams that are there. Uh, a team that you didn't, really mentioned but a guy that i that popped out to me when i was trying to research for this uh coming out of virginia tech gavin ross outfielder um six three two ten so he's a he's a big guy uh his 2021 season 203 at bats he put up 13 doubles 11 homers nine stolen bases so you love to see the the power speed sort of combo uh the slash line was was eye-popping 345 415 621 so that's a 1.035 OPS. So talk to me about this guy, Gavin Ross. I saw him some places somewhere in the top 10 for the 2022 draft class. What what should we know about Gavin? Yeah, Gavin Cross is is a really exciting player. Um, he's he's got plus raw power, good arm strength in the outfield. Uh he's definitely he he really worked his way into the conversation last year. He had a great regular season, and then he was probably one of the more consistent hitters on the the USA collegiate national team over the summer. Um, and so that Virginia tech team, you know, they're not picked to finish necessarily very high in the conference, but with him and a few other bats, like they've got some, they've got some guys in the lineup that can do damage and, and cross is probably one of two or three favorites to win the the conferences player of the year award. And, you know, I think if he has a really good year again, he could definitely work his way into, you know, top 10 consideration. He's got a lot of tools. Um, Great, great at the plate uh, and, and pretty stout defensively. Probably profiles as a corner outfielder um, from what I've seen. I think he's playing center right now, but really good arm strength. Awesome, awesome. Um, one other guy from another tech school, this is Georgia Tech. This is yet another catcher. Um, so if you if you know anything about Georgia Tech's history, they have a, a, a nice pipeline from Veritech to Matt Wieters, most recently Joey Bart, and now we have Kevin Parada. Uh, as the next, possibly the, the sort of heir apparent in that legacy. Uh, I saw on Baseball America, they had him rated number 15 and they are top 150 for college baseball um, for this year. So what should we know about Parada? I know we're, we're kind of hitting what might be a golden era for, for catching prospects for Dynasty. Um, where does Parada possibly fit in with that? Yeah, yeah. I think Parada's, his his value at the plate is so high. He's he's a really talented pure hitter. Um there've been the the defensive question marks. Uh, I think scouts kind of go both ways with that. He's, he's improving. I, some say, some are just like, well, he's, he's, he's more for his, for his bat. Um, but I definitely think he's, he's got a lot of potential. Um, and he's probably, 
it's going to be close, I think, but he'll probably be the first catcher off the, the, um, off the board in the draft. If he has a good spring, um, especially if he he's pretty solid defensively and, and he replicates his, uh, hitting numbers. So it sounds like Parada is kind of in that. I mean, it's kind of the, the normal catcher, um, sort of archetype, right? If he's, if he's good enough behind the plate, he doesn't have to be great, but if he's, if he's okay, then the bad is what plays. Um, so that's something to to definitely keep in mind. Uh, again, as we're getting our scouting together, looking at draft boards, um, I'll go a step further. I'll push you. Um, I don't know if you prepare for this or not, but I'll push you a little bit. Any particular team that you could see him being a good fit for going into the draft? Uh, I'm not going to be honest. Not sure off the top of my head. <laughs> I feel like yeah. it's so far out. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'm all, and I'm always curious about that, especially with a position like um, catcher. is kind of different than than what we're talking about with cross right corner outfielder, possibly center. That you know that always can kind of play, you know, no matter what. But even we talked about um, or mentioned Joey Bart uh, as being kind of the most recent graduate from Georgia Tech in the catching standpoint. And we've seen with San Francisco, you got Bart, and then you have Bailey. Sometimes certain teams can kind of get a little stacked in in Goskin might possibly get, you know, a little, little stagnation. So I, I, I'll be curious to see, especially if he is the first catcher off the board, like you were saying, he has the possibility to be. Um, I'll be curious to see what team is going to grab him and where he slots in into their into their farm system. So Kevin Parada, Gavin Cross, names to know out of the ACC. We're going to move to the Big Ten uh, and give us a rundown of, of what we should be looking for from the Big Ten and those teams. Yeah, yeah. So the Big Ten had a weird year last year. Um, they decided the conference decided to only play conference games. Uh, so they played a 44 game schedule of just against each other. And so, as you can imagine, that made things kind of difficult on the the tournament selectors, basically, because RPI and everything kind of out the window when you're only playing teams within your conference. Um, they still had three teams make uh, the the tournament, and one of those was Nebraska who's probably the favorite uh, again this year. Um, they really pushed Arkansas in the, uh, to the brink um, in the regionals. And they're, they're replacing a good chunk, uh, but they have a lot of experience on the mound. They brought in the conference's top recruiting class. And then the other teams, Michigan, uh, they, they made a good run a few years ago. Um, they lost their ace, but still have a good staff and, and some solid offensive pieces. So I think those two are the, the two teams to probably highlight, keep an eye on. Um, but it definitely could be a three or four bid uh, league. Okay. And um, one name, and, and definitely feel free if there's somebody else that, that's sticking out to you, but the name that popped up to me is actually a transfer uh, from South Dakota State to Iowa, and that's Adam Mazur. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that last name uh, correctly, maybe Mazur, uh, but he's a junior. He uh, put up some some interesting numbers, South Dakota State. The stats weren't great. Um, definitely saw a high ERA, especially with him, but uh, scouts seemed to really like the stuff. And then he went to the Cape Cod League this past summer and looks like maybe did a 180, uh, 29 innings pitched, 34 Ks, only six walks, no home runs, uh, five earned runs. So an outstanding summer, he decides to transfer. He gets the ball as the Friday night pitcher for Iowa. Um, which seemed like that really appealed to him. So what do we need to know about uh, about Adam Mazur? Yeah, yeah. I think anytime you you transfer to a school and immediately become the Friday night starter, you've got you got something going for you. And that summer on the Cape definitely turned a lot of heads. Um, 
like you said, I mean, the K to walk ratio was dominant. I think he only gave up like 18 hits uh, in 29 innings or something. Uh, you know, mid nineties fastball, uh, a good slider and he's a competitor on the mound. Um, and I think he could have a really good year for Iowa. Awesome. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a pause right here, pay bills. And then we're coming back with Bradley smart to talk even more college baseball. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show All right, so we are back. We're with Bradley Smart. We're talking about college baseball um, as we're coming off opening day for the new season and opening weekend. Uh, So we covered the ACC. We covered the Big Ten. Now we're going to get into the Big 12. Uh, Definitely some uh, one very interesting name that I'm eager to talk about with you. But first, give us a rundown of, of the teams to know in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah. So the Big 12 is home of the uh, the preseason number one, uh, Texas. Um, they're the favorites to, to win the national championship this year. They win the College World Series last year. Um, they really went head-to-head with TCU last year uh, in the regular season in the Big 12, ended up winning, making it to Omaha. And they've got a lot back. I mean, Tanner Witt is probably the favorite for pitcher of the year. Um, they brought back Ivan Melendez, uh, who's a big power bat. And Pete Hansen and Tristan Stevens are two pretty talented pitchers as well. Uh, and then there's a, some other good teams in the conference, too. Um, Texas is definitely far and above these group, these teams, but it's a competitive conference. So like Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, uh, both of those teams should should be regional teams and, and could go far as well. So you, you mentioned the, the team that has the player that I want to get into. We heard uh, not great news about the older brother, uh, but we're hoping for great things coming from the younger brother. That's Jace Jung um, from Texas Tech. Seemingly, from everything that I can look at, consensus a consensus top five for um, the upcoming draft. Some he's going to fall somewhere in there. What do you see as his ceiling? Like, how, how far can he really go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's incredibly talented. He's he's probably going to go earlier than his brother, and his brother went eighth, I think, in twenty nineteen. And so, I mean, the talent in that family is insane. Um, but yeah, you know, he's got a lot of power. He's left-handed hitting lane fielder. Um, he's he's going to be one of the best offensive players in the country. Um, he really does a lot of things well at the plate. Uh, I think defensively, like, he needs to improve some. Um, I think he might project more as a corner infielder. I, I could be wrong there. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's really impressive to see 
you know, younger brother of, of a top Rangers prospect who's going to be similarly regarded and, and go pretty high. And, and he's definitely heavy favorite, I'd say, for the Big 12's player of the year. Probably got a good chance at winning, like, you know, the Golden Spikes, uh, like, national player of the year. Um, he's re- he really brings a lot. Uh, yeah, really talented player. So um, I want to get back to a question with Young. I'm going to try to wrap it into the next player I want to talk about, which is uh, this player is Peyton Graham from Oklahoma. Uh, just a quick rundown of Peyton's 2021, 280, 394, 498 with the slash that's in 207 at-bats, puts up uh, 11 home runs. So that's pretty nice. The question that I have to kind of um, put on Graham and Jung is that question of position. So I think Young, they have him as second base, sort of slotted. Um, Peyton Graham is slotted right now for shortstop. For both, I'm hearing or reading, I should say, uh, that there should be anticipation that they kind of maybe get moved off that position. So with we'll, we'll go back to Young for a second. Do you think he sticks at second? Do you see him? Th- does that hurt his value some because he doesn't have a set defensive home? What do you what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's tricky uh, with Young. I think there's questions about his range, um, but he's been a, a decent enough defender there. Um, I think he might move to like a corner spot, um, and I think with with him versus Graham in terms of defense, uh, I think Graham can play more um, positions. I think he's he's going to be playing short this year. Um, which is, you know, premium defensive position. Uh, and so, like, he played third last year. Uh, so I think Graham is more flexible position-wise. I think Young's, obviously, upside offensively is a lot more than Graham's. Right, so that kind of that kind of overwhelms uh, any of those position, uh, positionality questions, right? They're going to get the bat in the lineup somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, the, the potential he has there – they'll stick him anywhere. Um, And then Graham more, I think his ability to play defense will, will, it'll help him a lot. Cause you know, he's, I think he's a career like 300 hitter. He has a good bat. Um, I don't know if he has necessarily like one super plus tool or anything. I think he's just more of a well-balanced like contributor. Yeah. So, and, and and I'm partial to guys like that. And again, I know we're kind of forecasting way out, right? He's, we're just now starting the new college season. I'm already kind of thinking about, draft, post-draft, et cetera. But I like guys like Peyton Graham that, like you said, have solid, if not maybe above average defensive work. So that's going to help him earn at bats because he's not going to be a defensive zero for you. Um, and then having that high four, if if not, uh, you know, even though he may have a low ceiling, uh, being able, like you said, around um, 300 career hitter, obviously has a, a bit of pop, can get on base. To me, I like those guys. They're not the sexiest guys to draft up front, but those are good names to know, uh, especially depending on how deep your um, FYPD, like we talked about in our, our uh, first episode, depending on how deep that is. These are good names to know for guys that are on the back end of your draft. So Peyton Graham, Jace Young out of the Big 12. Let's move to um, the the conference that I know just because of branding. I'll be honest, they just brand very well. <laughs> and that's the SEC. Yeah. Kind of like what they do for college football. They've kind of started to be able to do it for college baseball. Um, even though I don't follow college baseball, like I said, as well as I should, I know about the SEC somewhat. So talk to me about who are the teams to know. And then I have 
a plethora of different players to kind yeah, of run through yeah. uh, I mean, out of the conference. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really not hard to brand as a league when your teams are just so just absolutely stacked year in and year out. I mean, seven of the last 12 national championships have been an SEC school. Uh, last year, the finals, uh, the final uh, the series was Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State took that series, but on all SEC final. They got six preseason top 10 teams. I think they have like eight in the top 25. Uh, so just the depth is astounding. We could we could do an episode about the SEC that would be, you know, two hours long if we went team by team and talked through all the talent there. Um, but, you know, there's some changes uh, and some big ones. So Jay Johnson, Arizona's coach, he's taking over uh, at LSU, brought along with him uh, some, some a talented transfer that we'll probably cover. Uh, and then Jim Schlossnagel, who was at TCU, um, really good uh, coach. He took over at Texas A&M. Uh, in terms of favorites, you know, Vanderbilt, um, Miss- Vanderbilt, Mississippi State are, I think, the top two. I think they're both top five teams. Um, player of the year favorite uh, is Dylan Cruz on LSU. And and they're, they're going to have a really good lineup this year. I think the question marks are on the mound. Um, Vanderbilt obviously locked lost uh rocker and lighter uh two really talented pitchers um but they brought back a lot too i mean dominic keegan enrique bradfield jr carter young a lot of names um and mississippi state has to replace a lot but they also bring back uh you know landon sims who's just had a great great start yesterday Mm -hmm. um somehow took the loss (laughs) despite being so dominant um and then you know, you can just go down the list. I mean, Florida brings back, they got Hunter Barco and Judd Fabian. Um, Arkansas, you know, they were upset in the Super Regionals, but return a, a really good infield that probably stacks up with, with most in the country. Um, and then there's, you know, there's other schools like Ole Miss, Georgia, Tennessee. These are all top 25 teams. So the SEC, like the regular season and the weekend series, they're just going to be really high quality matchups, like week in, week out. So I want to go, we'll work backwards because you mentioned uh, one of those names first, and that's Judd Fabian from uh, Florida. So you should be familiar with Fabian because he was selected number 40 by the Red Sox in the 2021 draft. Uh, So in the second round, bet on himself, did not sign, decided to go back um, to Florida. And I know with Fabian, he was pretty high early on. Um, as far as uh, in, in those pre-draft rankings and then start to take a, a nosedive right around the time of the draft. So what does Fabian specifically need to do to improve his draft stock to, to go into the 2022 uh, draft? Yeah, you know, I think Fabian's an interesting case. I think he was a uh, top 30 prospect last year because he was an eligible sophomore. Um, and so he ended up coming back, like you said, and, you know, he's, He's age appropriate for the group because uh, he's a junior now. Um, and he's got a lot of potential. You know, he has really plus plus power, uh, really good defensive center fielder. I think the biggest question for him and the thing he's going to set out to like prove this uh, spring is, you know, the swing and miss, um, the the contact rate, basically. And and, you know, he's he bet on himself, like you said, and I think he could have a really big year. Um, he's got the skill set, he's got the tools, uh, and I think it really comes down to, you know, I, th- I forget what he's hitting as a career at uh, Florida. I think it's below 250, maybe just barely. Uh, strikes out like 
25% of the time. So, you know, if he can cut down on those numbers, I think he could really soar. Um, obviously, that's a big question mark. People know what they're going to get with him. Um, so it'll be interesting season for him, I'm sure. Um, you, you mentioned LSU. I did not have Cruz as my sort of LSU uh, representative. I instead had Jacob Berry as the guy coming out of LSU, number two on uh, Baseball America's Top 150. Uh, before we, I, I want you to talk us through uh, Barry's sort of profile because I have another sort of positionality question um, about him. So, so what what should we know about Jacob Barry? Yeah, yeah, and the the reason Cruz just to just to start, Cruz is a, a sophomore this year, so he won't be draft eligible to next year, but he'll he'll be top prospect next year. Um, he's the national freshman of the year last year, I think. Um, but Barry, anyway, followed Jay Johnson from Arizona to LSU. You know, really good power from both sides of the plate. the The defense is the question uh, coming into this year because you know he played some third last year, but was really a DH. Um, and he figures to play third for LSU, but you know, you could all eventually see a move to first, uh, in his future. Um, but the bat obviously plays, um, he's, he, you know, he, he's a really talented player. And I think the lineup, just getting him in the lineup offensively is, is the big thing. Gotcha. Um, so we have a, a, a duo, um, unfortunately an injured duo, uh, of uh, pitchers here in the SEC, uh, Connor Prelip from Alabama and Peyton Pallet from Arkansas. Um, obviously, Pallet is the pitcher we we just at, right before the season was getting kicked off. Heard about him needing to undergo Tommy John. Prelip was already in uh, the recovery stage from Tommy John, so he seems like he will miss this season as well. Um, so again, somebody like me who's more of a noob. We don't get a chance to see him uh, either one of these pitchers this season. What should we know about what they've already done? And then how much does their surgeries and recovery time, how much do you think they might impact their draft status? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really like a, a player by player basis, uh, but prelip, you know, if he, if he wasn't hurt, I think a lot of people see him as one of the best arms in the class. Um, and so, you know, he, when he has pitched for Alabama, he's been dominant, uh, you know, he has a great fastball, good slider in the mid 80s, and then he has a low 80s changeup as well. He, when he was pitching for them, you know, I think he had a sub one ERA. I don't know how many innings, but he's, he's showcased he has it. And I think for him, it'll be tough. Uh, I'm sure he, he'll get some bullpens in as he's, re, as he's starting to work his way back. I, I don't imagine he returns. Um, and, but, you know, maybe he'll get some innings in a summer league before the draft. And I think teams will want to take, you know, take a chance on him because the talent is, is there. Um, it's really high potential, high upside. Uh, and then Pallet, you know, it's tricky. This was a big, I think this was a really big year for him. Um, durability and health were questions. Uh, and now of course he's got Tommy John surgery. And so I don't, I don't really know what will, what will happen with him in terms of the draft. If maybe he'll end up coming back another year or a team takes, just ends up taking him. Cause he only thrown, I think like 60 collegiate innings. Mm. So there's not, there's not a lot on him necessarily. Uh, obviously, great pitcher, um, really brutal timing right before like opening day um, or a few weeks before. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think Prelip will, has more upside, higher probably ranking, but honestly, it's tricky to tell where either of them will end up going. Okay. So just to, again, if you're, if you're keeping score home, so that's Connor Prelip, 
Peyton Pallet. We also talked about Judd Fabian, Jacob Berry. Um, that's the SEC. We're going to finish up with uh, Power 5 schools before we jump into a couple of non-Power 5 um, players. So that's the Pac-12 out on the West Coast. Um, I only grabbed one one guy that really, really stuck out to me just because of the power they put up at such a young age. But uh, definitely, if you if you have anybody else, feel free to, to chip in here, Bradley. Who are the teams to know in the Pac-12 before we get to the players? Yeah, yeah. So the Pac-12... Uh, I feel like each time I've introduced a conference, I've I've mentioned something weird about 2021 for them. And for the Pac-12, it was they dealt with really the inability to practice in the fall. Um, so the California schools, there's you know COVID restrictions, different things, shutdowns at schools, and so they came into the spring and it was really like, what are we going to get from some of these teams? You know, they didn't have their traditional fall ball. They weren't able to really do some of the normal things they do, um, and they still sent six teams to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and put two teams in the College World Series uh, in or, uh, in Stanford and Arizona. And obviously, Arizona, it's going to have an interesting year. Um, they Their coach left uh, and brought with him one of Arizona's best players. Um, but, you know, Stanford is going to be the, the, the cream of the crop. Um, they're anchored by Brock Jones, who's a guy we'll probably, we should probably talk about. Um, they can make a return trip to the College World Series, uh, even with a lot of pieces to replace. Um, Oregon State's always good, uh, pretty much. Um, they had, you know, they had 37-24 last year, um, but they should be, again, a, a good regional team. Um, and then Arizona, like I said, they have a new coach, uh, but they've got potentially the best pitcher in the conference uh, in TJ Nichols. Um, and then the draft guy to know is Daniel Susak, who, you know, he's a catcher. Um, and then finally one team to throw in there is UCLA. They lost 10 draftees, which is just an insane number, but they had the number one recruiting class in the country. So, you know, if that comes together, it could be a really exciting year for, for the Bruins. So talk to me about about those two guys that you kind of highlight, Brock Jones, Daniel Susak. I saw Susak, I think, went two for two for three or maybe maybe two for five um, uh, yesterday in, in, in the opener, um, put together a couple really solid knocks. So uh Talk to me about Brock Jones. Talk to me about Dan Sutek. And then I have uh, a guy that, like I said, jumped out to me as well that I wanted to to get your insight into. Yeah, yeah. So Brock Jones, he had kind of a, I think he had a weird 2020 shortened season, but then he had a really good 2021 year. Uh, he's center fielder. He led the Pac-12 with 18 home runs. He's he's a big dude. Um, he, you know, he's got pull power. Uh, he's solid runner. He really does a lot of things well. Um just sort of built, uh, you know, I, I think he was a football player. I think he even played some at Stanford football. I might be wrong, but I think he was on the roster at one point. Um, but he's a good runner, and I think he'll end up being a corner outfielder. But he's got a lot of pop in that bat, uh, and I think he will he might be a favorite for conferences player of the year this year. Um, and then Suzak, you know, he's he's a catcher who's definitely going to compete with uh, Parada for the, the top college catcher. Um, he's a power bat, uh, good and high average, uh, and good contact. He was actually, he split with Parada on the, the collegiate national team. So they were the two catchers. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's a definitely a name to know. Awesome. Now the guy that, like I said, jumped out to me was outfielder as well. That's Dylan Beavers from, uh, California. And what popped out to me was his 2021, 19 years old, put up 18 home runs, 1.031 OPS, that's a lot of power from a pretty young guy. 
uh, and and still being being able to be draft eligible coming into this season. So what what's Beaver's profile? What do you see as his potential ceiling? Like how how much better can he possibly get? Yeah, yeah. You know, Beavers, he really took off. Uh, you know, he's 6'4", 200 pounds, really projectable guy. Uh, he had, I think he had a tough time in uh, the Cape. I think he only played a few games because he was also playing for Team USA, the, the collegiate team. And I don't think he did very well with with the Wood Bats, which is a always a question mark. Um, I think a lot of people want to see you translate what you do in the spring to when you're playing with, you know, what you'll be playing in the minors and majors. Um but, you know, I think he's got the potential, I mean, to add more strength uh, and pretty much more power. You know, freshmen, I think you see sometimes over the years at college, they get stronger. They get, you know, you go from high school to when you're in uh, a college uh, program with, you know, a really set routine and everything. Um, and you can really add strength and power. And, and that's scary if it's Beavers because, you know, like you said, a lot of power as a freshman. I mean, 18 home runs or something and, and 11 doubles, a lot of pop. So he's definitely got a lot of upside as well. Awesome. So that's the Pac-12. So that wraps up the the Power Five dynamic. And and again, I'm sure we could probably have you on for even longer. Uh, we may actually come back, and I probably would be smart to do a follow up sometime as we get closer to um the tourney, so we can um to, to get closer to the College World Series. I should say. Um, see, I'm used to college basketball. I'm thinking about the tourney. Um, but some non power five guys that I want to talk about. Uh, one is Brooks Lee from Cal Poly. And I did see a write up that said that he might be the best college position player in this draft class. Is is that accurate? Is that hyperbole? Like where, where are you staying? Yeah, no, he's, he's, I think most boards have him as the, the best collegiate player. Um, I think Baseball America has him three after uh, two high schoolers, uh, Drew Jones and Tamar Johnson. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's you know, he hit 405 in 21 games on the Cape. He was the best prospect on the USA national team uh, over the summer. Um, he's only, I think he's only played like 50 or so games with Cal Poly because uh, he was out 2020, even with the, the shortened year. Um, but, you know, he's a plus hitter, uh, really contact driven he does not swing and miss a lot um and you know he might not be a shortstop long term uh but he's he's definitely just almost the full package really i'm sure with a good season he'll he'll end up going high so you you mentioned uh good good back to ball um skills if not uh, excellent back to ball skills actually is probably underselling just to say good but what yeah. do, you, do you see do you see the power being able to project there as well or is he more hit over power at least as it stands right now i think right now he's hit over power i know um you know there's there's a lot of great content over on, at baseball america um and i think what some people say about him is you know it's easy he can hit doubles he can find the gaps uh and if he can get some sort of tap into to raw power and and get going and and get some more launch on those, I think he could definitely develop um, some power. But I think, uh, you know, he's hit at every level. Uh, I think he hit three forty four last year. Um, obviously, four hundred five in the Cape. Like he'll get on base. Um, and you know, with bat to ball skills, I think you can develop some power. Um, I think you see it a lot if you're able to consistently make good contact. You have high average. You hit doubles. You can start to turn those into to home runs. Um, 
you see that kind of profile. Uh, so I think he's, he's really, really well-rounded uh, and just definitely top prospect going into the regular season. And I think with a strong spring, that probably won't change very much. One last question on him before we move to our last guy. Um, you mentioned, again, coming back to positionality, he's shortstop right now. Uh, are there concerns about um, range or arm strength or what, what makes you think he might get pushed off that position? Yeah, so he's he's reliably de- reliable defensively, but I think the questions are range. Um, I haven't seen too much of him, uh, but I think evaluators say like it's not quite what you would say a big league shortstop has, um, and I think that kind of hints at second base or third base uh, potentially. Um, but he, I don't think he's a bad defender. I think it's more just the range is is something to keep in mind. Yeah. And it's it's always interesting. I don't know what your, your opinions are, but just to, to keep on that subject, I always think it's interesting when you have somebody who is playing shortstop and the question marks are like, yeah, this guy's probably going to get pushed um, off of it, whether it be for third or for a second. I always think the idea of it being range versus arm to me is always like a little bit more comforting because if it's just, you know, he doesn't necessarily have the foot speed. Um, or that sort of instinct to to get to every single ball to make all the different plays that you would need from a big league shortstop. That to me is like, okay, you would like that, obviously you prefer it, but you can live with it because I just think about how that will mature and grow. If a guy can't make that, make the throws, that's when it's like, oh, okay. Cause that means you're probably going to be stuck at second only. Um, yeah. maybe we can push you out to left field, but then it, it just starts to get kind of really dicey and messy when you start to try to project how this guy's going to look when he starts to get close to his peak, um, where he's going to play. But yeah, if you're telling me, oh, he's got a hose, but he just doesn't have the footwork, we'll push him over to third. I'm For me, again, it's my personal opinion. I'm comfortable with that because over time, I feel like you can stick at third and not necessarily have the greatest range if you can make those throws for a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think the, like the BA scouting report has him as like a solid accurate arm. And that's, you know, if you, you can do that from short, you can probably do that from third. Um, and yeah, you see, it's funny. You see people move as soon as they get into like the minors, they just quickly move to a new position. And then by the time they're at the majors, it's like, Oh, that's where they've always played. And then you're like, Oh, well no, he played like short in college or like all four years or something. Right. I always think about, uh, this is obviously many, many years, but I always think about like once I, when I was a kid and I learned that Gary Sheffield had been like a catcher and a shortstop. And I was like, wait, what? And yeah. it's just, it's, it's that exact sort of thing. And I mean, that's, you know, how many years ago, um, versus how we start to look at positionality and multi-positionality now in the game, where it's like, oh no, we kind of want that. We kind of, you see, you see some of the better teams kind of valuing, yeah, this guy can play this one position, but yeah, we can put him in center. We can put him at third. We can push him around a few different spots to cover up if we have some either defensive liabilities or just injuries, right? You start, you're starting to see the Tampas, the Dodgers, some of those teams uh, in the majors start to value that that ability even more than i think we've seen in the the past few years so that's good to know about brooks lee the guy i wanted to end on um did not have the greatest uh start to the season yesterday we talked about parker messick the other side of that coin was chase the lauder from james madison uh parker got round one uh oh for three <laughs> three strikeouts and none of them looked to be very close from from what i saw in the timeline 
It looked like Messick was really on one. Um, did look like Chase got a base hit. I saw actually as I was preparing. Um, looked like he got a base hit towards the end of the night. Um, from a from off of a different pitcher. So wasn't a complete wash for him. But uh, this is a guy that popped on my radar. I love toolsy outfielders. I'm just I'm a sucker for him. So when I saw. Um, Chase Delauder, especially coming from a non-Power 5 school, looked like he really rocketed up the rankings. Now is kind of in that top 10, top 15 um, area for the draft class. So what should we know about Delauder, especially knowing that he's not at a, at a major school um, in, in playing for James Madison? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, obviously he's playing in the CAA, uh, smaller conference. Um, but, you know, like, people like Colin Cowser and stuff have proven, you know, if you're a toolsy outfielder in a small conference school and you light up the Cape uh, or have a really good spring, you can climb really quickly. And I think the lauder is just taken off, you know, he hit uh, almost 300 in the Cape, nine home runs, uh, more walks than strikeouts, which as you can imagine in the Cape, when you're facing the best collegiate pitchers from pretty much every program you can think of, that's, that's really impressive. Uh, and, you know, he's only played 42 games for James Madison because uh, of uh, COVID, shortened season, everything. Um, and, you know, he hit 385 over that that time period, which is which is really impressive. But I think this year is going to be huge for him because he saw what he did over the summer. And now it's all right. Let's put you in a full collegiate season, which you haven't played yet. And let's see what you do. And I think if he has a good, good spring, he'll yeah definitely top 20, top 15 could just keep climbing. Uh, he's really quick, capable defender, and then just a lot of raw power. Yeah. Do you think, again, uh, I'm sticking, coming back to the theme positionality, do you think he sticks in center? Does he seem kind of like uh, some of the other guys we talked about in, in Jones and Beavers and some of the, the other players? Does he get pushed into a corner? Uh, what do you think about from there? Yeah, so he's interesting. So he's 6'4", 230. He's big, big guy, and, and that isn't necessarily what you picture a center fielder always. And so the thing that's kind of unique about him, part of the reason he's climbing is he's fast. He's surprisingly quick for his size. And I think like BA says, like they're about some of the evaluators they talk to are like, okay, you know, we're surprised by how quick he is. He could play, he could stick in center field, but you know, I also think it'd be a very easy move just to slide him over to right. Cause you know, power profile, um, provide some pop there and be a, a plus defender, uh, good arm. Cool. I, I like him in spite of going to James Madison because I'm repping my, <laughs> I'm repping CA, I'm repping my see, yeah. U- University of Delaware uh, alumni t- uh, sweatshirt right now. So um, typically we're not James Madison fans, but I'll make a, I make an exception for him. Um, I think UD plays Manhattan today. I'll see if I can check out that game online somewhere. Uh, so, Again, that's Brooks Lee. That's Chase DeLauder for our non-Power 5 guys. And again, there's a slew of other players and other teams that we could have been talking about here. Uh, Bradley, thanks again for for coming on, for giving us this rundown. I would love to have you back. Like I said, at least at least before um, College World Series time, maybe a, a, a one, one more time in there. Maybe we can work out two different episodes, kind of break the season up. To, to to cover what's going on and, and where some of these players are lining up. Um, but where can people find you, Bradley, if they want to see your work? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can find me on birdseyeviewbc.com. Uh, so I'm covering BC baseball primarily, uh, but also some ACC mixed in there. Um, I've been doing some things for Baseball America. 
Uh, I'll have a lot of college content on my Twitter um, at BradleySmart15. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check me out there. Um, always love chatting uh, college baseball. Great. Uh, like I said, Adam is is out, but you can always find him. He doesn't want you to pester him, but you can find him <laughs> on Twitter at the StatCast Error. Um, I don't have anything that I'm publishing for February, but I do have um, the March uh, newsletter coming out for Inside Fastball. You can subscribe on my Twitter page at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. And I have something that I think is going to be kind of interesting for Pitcher List. Uh, I know you guys love when I say that after that top 500 fiasco. So uh, we'll, we'll see how you respond to, to what I have planned for the month of March. But with that being said, Bradley, again, thank you so much for coming out. This is On the Farm. Hope you guys all have a great rest of your day. Thank you.